in a world where Mad Lab Theater. What are you doing? Making the Mad Lab ad for Cinema Wheeler Tay. Oh, here's my other one. Susan thought it was just another day, and then she met Mad Lab. Why don't you just say that Mad Lab is the new works theater in downtown Columbus, featuring hilarious comedies, powerful dramas, improv with FFN, the annual Young Writers Festival, and the longest running shorts festival in central Ohio, Theater Roulette. That sounds pretty awesome, especially when I do it over the Star Wars theme. Star Wars is always a good choice. Mad Lab, the original. For more information, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit us at madlab.net. Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott as usual. Hey. And uh, we're joined today by our third two-timer. <laughs> we got a two-timer in his house. That's right. We're, we're ratcheting up uh, the two-timers club here. Uh, it's uh, Frank Garcia, everybody. Thanks Hello, a lot. everybody. Hey. Hey, welcome back. Welcome Thanks. back. Uh, and today we're going to discuss uh, one of my favorite movies, and I think it's our introduction to one of my favorite filmmakers, his very first appearance on the podcast. The but filmmaker, not the last. And certainly not the last. He'll make several appearances going forward, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, that man is Alfred Hitchcock, mm. and we're talking about uh, his 1954 masterpiece, Rear Window, today. Um, this is one of my, this is probably my favorite Hitchcock film. And I use the caveat of saying, Anytime somebody mentions their favorite Hitchcock movie and they just throw out a random title, I can't argue against it because I think pretty yeah. much everything you directed was great. Mm-hmm. Like, they very rarely fall under the cracks of, like, mediocre. There's some I like better than others, but um, I think of all the filmmakers I've come across, Hitchcock is very consistent. Like, he's just an amazing filmmaker. I we agree. should do Hitchcock October or something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know. That, that's something that's always dawned on me, too. There's actually an improv troupe, just not to throw out a shout-out, in Chicago that mm-hmm. we really enjoy called Hitchcock Tales. They're amazing. Yeah, yeah, they actually take like the Hitchcock formula and they develop an entire improv comedy show based on it, and they're really good. So. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Hitchcock meets Clue. Yeah. Because you know, it's like a murder mystery always. It, it just shows how malleable the Hitchcock name is. You can throw it out there and use it in any way, shape, or form. And, the, and it's called Hitchcock Tales, like cocktails, as in the fact that they're getting drunk while they're doing it. Yeah, they, they take drinking, shots. They're drinking, they drink like, real alcoholic bar, stage. Yeah. stage. Yeah. It's fun. They've come to uh, Columbus a few times, and they're great people. Very talented. Yeah, very talented I always enjoy group. the show. Mm-hmm. It's so much fun. You could probably the catch them. I know they have a Facebook page, but I'm sure they have videos on YouTube for anybody that's curious to get a taste of what they do. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're excellent. And, and it just shows, like, the, the reach that, that Hitchcock is still relevant even today. Like, you know, he peaked creatively in the probably the 40s and 50s. That's when I think the bulk of his yeah. work was, was produced. But Although his famous, most famous movie is probably in the 60s, right? Psycho. Yeah, 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 yeah. Probably his most noted film. Although pretty much all his movies are classics. People yeah. have heard yeah. of all of them, you know. Um, and this movie in particular, it's my personal favorite 
uh, it was one of the first Hitchcock movies I really sat down and watched. I've always been familiar with Hitchcock before. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I remember seeing Alfred Hitchcock Presents on TV and reruns and stuff. And, Good evening. You know, that was your first introduction. That was him. my introduction to him as well. Yeah. The, the Hitchcock the, Presents. I always loved yeah. uh, the beginning yeah. of that when they play the theme. Dun, 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 and then they, like, outline his face. Yep. Good evening. So classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah the silhouette. I mean, it's yeah, classic. Yeah, the silhouette. But later on, you find out that his, his reputation really rests on his talent as a filmmaker and how influential and what a gargantuan talent literally and figuratively <laughs> he was um you know because a lot of people like like they'll say like orson wells they think might be the greatest filmmaker of all time at least of that classic era and the, i kind of thought of hitchcock that way because i think yeah. orson wells was great and i'm actually a fan of orson wells both as a personality and as a as a filmmaker but the the just the consistency of hitchcock i mean just the just how productive he was. You know, Wells didn't direct that nearly as many pictures as Hitchcock, and pretty much every Hitchcock movie you see, even if it's a lesser Hitchcock film, it still stands out. It's probably better than well, 90% of other films. And not only does it stand out, but I feel like it holds up. Yeah. You know, I mean, here we are in 2016 talking about Hitchcock. Um, they're still playing Hitchcock movies all over the place, and people know who that is, and the stories really hold up, even though... Uh, the time when they were made was, you know, 60, 70 years ago. A story like Rear Window can easily be modernized or redone, and in fact it has. There's a movie that came out about, about 10 years ago. It's Shia LaBeouf. It was called Disturbia. Yeah. And it was a modern-day take on Rear Window. So, I mean... Yeah, it's recycled yeah, and it's absolutely. repackaged for exactly, a modern audience, exactly. but it just shows that the ideas that he had in the 50s Precisely, yeah. are going in that direction. Well, yeah, I mean, I thought what came to mind watching this again... Where things like, you know, any kind of thriller in a lot of ways mm-hmm. kind of owes homage to, to him, you know, as far as what do you see and what can you prove. You know, I, you know, there's a whole genre since forever, a lot of made-for-TV movies, too, a lot of, <laughs> oh my God, I saw something, but nobody believes me, you know, kind yes. of thing. So there's, you know, that whole thing. And then even I got a little bit of like a Love Actually kind of thing, like a vignette thing of all these different apartments and mm-hmm. people and their own little stories. I yeah. mean, it's, it's kind of a... You just see how his influence just kind of tendrils out into all kinds of areas. And also, he was a he was a pioneer for certain types of uh, cine- cinematography tricks and new discoveries and new ways to shoot things, different angles. Like the first one that comes to mind is that classic from Vertigo, you know, that downward shot um, that he sort of created that, and then they used it in movies, especially horror for films. Um, oh, yeah, the zoom in will exactly, pull back. Exactly, yeah, yeah, the zoom in will pull back. And then in this movie, I was so captivated by, like what Frank was mentioning, you know, you're in um, Jimmy Stewart's apartment, and it's as if you're seeing it from his perspective, and you're looking around this backyard courtyard of these apartment buildings and seeing these different lives and these different stories, and I think it's neat that you're only seeing it through the windows of the homes. You can't really hear, for the most part, um, so that alludes a lot to the imagination, like Jimmy Stewart's character is coming up with different scenarios for the people, and I just think that that's really cool, and the fact that the set was so small, it was really just that backyard courtyard in Jimmy Stewart's apartment. Yeah, that's the set is one of the things when I was watching it recently that really stood out for me. Um, I love the set. You know, There's certain mm-hmm. sets that stand mm-hmm. out for me, and I think part of the appeal for me in this movie is it looks like a Hollywood set, no question about it, but that's not a negative that's a positive because it, it feels like a best way to describe it is like a, a dreamlike set. You know what I mean? Me, like it, it, it takes you into that specific world. And I like the fact that it's so 
narrow and isolated because yeah. that's the whole point of the movie is you're seeing it for, from a narrow lens. You know, you're yeah. right. I hadn't thought about it. It's like, it's clearly a set, mm-hmm. but it actually makes you appreciate mm-hmm. the complexity of the set yes. because you know it's a set. Right. Yeah, versus an actual building, you're like, oh, it's a building, no big deal. No, they built that, and you can tell yeah. that, but it still makes you appreciate, like, wow, that's amazing. I think it's one of the best sets I've ever seen because it's it's just amazing. And if you see this, the scope of the set, I guess it's, it was on the at the studio. They took out the basement so to mm-hmm. make it even more distinct. To make out. it look like levels. And, yeah, and they had different light settings for you know morning. You know, afternoon, afternoon night. evening, which night. is genius. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they just click on that, so the lanes were all set. So they just clicked so on the that. set. Actually, I'm glad you brought that up because my first instinct, having done theater, when I rewatched this the other day, I thought, instantly thought of Broadway. It reminded me of a stage set because it was so detailed, but yet so narrow and small. Um, which is very much like theatrical production, like Rent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it really yeah. reminded me of like a, a, a theater stage. Um, which is a compliment. Uh, mm-hmm. They do really amazing things with mm-hmm. sets on Broadway and you know other theatrical. Well, you said though, with like Hitchcock, maybe he might not have invented something particular, but he pushes everybody mm-hmm. in the movie to achieve his vision. Yeah. So you know, somebody else like him, like, well, crap, how do we build this thing? You know, take mm-hmm. out the basement. Oh, cause right. I need you to have this claustrophobic yeah. kind of feel. Yeah. Or the shot in Vertigo. I mean. I, I think the cinematographer came up with it. I'm not real sure. But you know how they yeah. say It's like, well, who actually invented something? There's a lot of discussion and the dialogue and how it comes about. But, but he was, pushes people to go, well, I need you to come up with this. He, yeah. he um, was very uh, notoriously famous for basically writing, as if he was writing a play, writing the stage directions and the camera mm-hmm. shots and the things that he wanted to see. He would incorporate them into the script. Um, so that way everybody had a very clear idea about what he wanted to see because he was so intentional. He was so um, much wrapped up in details of things that anything that you see in a Hitchcock movie is nine times out of ten intentional. You're supposed to see it in that angle, in that light, at that mm-hmm. moment, because it means this. Yeah. There's definitely a double meaning in everything, and he was so technically innovative. Mm-hmm. Like His movies are some of the best-looking films. I love movies that are great to look at, and this is an example of that. It's just a pristine-looking picture, but it's also technically astute, too. So it's, it's a visual experience, mm-hmm. just the way he films everything. Uh, he shoots things from certain angles. Like a lesser director would just shoot it stri- in a straightforward manner. But Hitchcock will actually do, like at the end when Raymond Burr comes to attack Jimmy Stewart at the end of the film, yeah. he actually shows you that red lens coming in yeah. as, he's, as he's photographing him to protect himself. And, you know, maybe it may not work as well for modern audiences, as we see, but it does work for me. Like, I, I like I how artful too. he is. That was a weird moment because Raymond Bird keeps coming back at like a, some sort of super villain. I know. <laughs> I, it's just so weird. Like, because he gets a shot and he's like, oh, I'm going to keep coming towards you. And it, it happens again. And he's like, and it, ah. And it's and such like, a small space. It's like, yeah, how yeah. long does it take one guy to walk across the room? Just, just run. Close your eyes. This guy knows he's in a wheelchair. Yeah. Forget about the. But the one camera angle that I really like the best, or I guess I should say the scene or the shot, is the part when Grace Kelly goes over to the apartment and um, she leaves the note under the door. The way that it's shot, it's as if we are Jimmy Stewart's character watching her through the window. Yeah. You don't see that, you know, first-hand perspective of Grace Kelly knocking on the door. You see it through Jimmy Stewart, and I think that creates the element of suspense. Um, of being in that, the audience being in the character's shoes. And again, that's just another um, example of the genius of Alfred Hitchcock. 
Oh, it is. And it, one thing I was going to say about the rooms, too, if you notice it, like they mentioned it, I think, on, on the audio, audio commentary or the documentary of this film. If you notice the windows across the board with, with that building, they, they are shaped like a cinema screen, which goes into the meaning, the inner dual meaning of this, which is we're watching a movie, so we're kind of voyeuristic okay. that way. Okay. But we're, the They're way Jimmy Stewart's watching these mini films, you know, like you see Miss Torso, Miss Lonely Hearts, and I love Miss Thornhill, Lonely Hearts. And, and his wife. I mean, the that's, Newlyweds. yeah, there's so many stories within the story in this movie. Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I, on, uh, we were researching the last movie, I came across something of Hitchcock, which I thought was amazing. I, I did not appreciate completely what he had, his technical expertise. But he had a quote about people basically up to, like him, people who did movies like they were filming a play. Basically, we put a camera here at the front of the stage and yeah. we film a, pl a play as we would if it were going on on stage. Yeah. Not the way of moving the cameras around, doing it from below and above. And, and it was so fun because to do these, prepare for these podcasts, you know, I watch these movies much more critically. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you, you start to really pay attention, like, oh, wow, that is so interesting. Like, doing it at this angle or this way, and you're like, I hadn't thought about that. Things we take for granted, like most listeners probably watching movies today, like we talked about with Sabrina, it's hard to appreciate some things because you're not seeing this for the first time when it was invented. You mm -hmm. know, you've had to see, you know, 40 years of filmmakers who've taken advantage of this, so... It's a little interesting to, to go back and go, wow, this guy did this for the first time. This is the first time anybody ever did a scene that way, or like the, the Grace Kelly, you know, where she comes in and he's asleep, you know, mm -hmm. and the way that kind of whole transpires. It's as, if it's, it's as if we are Jimmy Stewart waking up and exactly. she's, right, yeah. she's right in our face. People hadn't done that before. Yeah. I'm like, how to think of that, how to do that with a, with a camera to make that effect. Well, that's a, one of the really cool things that I love about this movie is the fact that it's every moment as if we it's as if we are Jimmy Stewart's character we're experiencing it mm -hmm. in almost the identical way that he is you know with seeing Grace Kelly opening up her eyes and she's right there and then the way that he's watching the different apartments and the way the camera shots are very rarely do we really see um unless it's a pan of view of the whole room you know or a scene between Grace Kelly and Jim Jimmy Stewart think about it like when you watch it again you don't really see Jimmy Stewart you see what he's seeing mm-hmm and I think that's so neat. And the other thing that um, really caught my eye when we were watching again was how great Hitchcock is at painting a picture and telling so much backstory without wasting time telling it. Mm -hmm. Like in this movie, it starts off, we see him in the wheelchair. Instinctively, we're like, what happened? You know, why, is he, why does he have a broken leg? And then we see the broken camera. And then we see this image of a race car really, really closely. And you start to connect the dots without even knowing the story of what had actually happened. And I think that's also sort of an element of suspense. And, and it's intriguing. And it really draws the audience in because now we're so curious. Why is he in the wheelchair? What's this race car picture? Why does he have a broken camera? Is he a photographer? You instantly start asking questions and getting involved. Um, which is what his movies, I think that's what, one of the motives of his movies is to get people involved. Yeah, you're sucked to build in that suspense. Very Exactly, to get sucked in. Yeah, and, and I think, to, to, to your note, Tony, you're absolutely right about the way he tells the story. Mm -hmm. It's almost visual. Now, think about it. There's so many side stories going on that mm -hmm. we're watching along with Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. L.B. Jeffries, I guess is the yeah. character's name. Jeff, as they call yeah, it. Yeah, L.B.J., I guess would be his initials. <laughs> Um, but uh, we're watching it, and uh, we get so many side stories with minimal dialogue. I mean, mm -hmm. just you hear snippets of words, but 
you basically have a story like Miss Torso and and you know she's practicing her dancing routines and everything, and then you have Miss Lonely Hearts and her struggle with romance, and then you yeah. had the but we get them sleeping outside with the dog. Yeah, I mean it just yeah exactly. I mean there are all these quirky things, but you know there's so much attention to detail in all of those stories that we kind of remember it. They all have their own arcs within this mm-hmm. larger larger film. But well, you never actually meet them. No. no. That's and the you amazing really, part. No, you're still involved in their story. Exactly. Yeah. Like and you, you, a peeping Tom. You're like, what's that guy doing over there? It's so <laughs> layered. It's unbelievable. Well, and that and that's because he's so brilliant in how he films things that we're able to feel like we know these people even though we don't. Um, one thing I did want to just point out because I was talking about the couple that would sleep outside. During the filming of the scene where they're outside sleeping and it starts to rain, Jimmy Stewart had a microphone, a speaker in the woman's ear and one in the man's ear and before the scene um was to take place the idea was that hitchcock uh, um, or excuse me he put microphones in each one of their ears and then beforehand he told the woman when it starts happening i want you to to pull the mattress into the left window but he told the man when when the rain starts happening everything i want you to pull it into the right window he didn't tell the couple that he gave them different directions Wow. So then when it starts happening, that, that fight where that, that struggle is real. The girl's like, he said to pull in the left window. And the guy's like, no, he told me the right. And then, But the brilliance of it is that's how real life couples interact. Mm-hmm. In a situation where it starts raining, you're struggling, you're frantic, you're just trying to get things done. He was able to create, I don't know, just the, his, um, his being aware and the fact that he was so in tune with the human psyche just impresses me so much. Like He wanted that shot to look authentic. And it does, and just even his, the fall his was master. Real. The fall yeah. was fake. Over the fall was real. Yeah, yeah, that was not planned. Just worked out beautifully, um, and it's just so masterful. Like it just leaves me in awe. I'm like, this guy is so awesome. Yeah, he is. And another thing that uh, attention to Linda read is that uh, the actress who played Miss Torso, Georgine Darcy, she was an actual ballerina, mm-hmm. and she was expecting her moves to be choreographed like they are in most films. But they said, no, we don't want. The Kiss Shock did not want her choreographing mm-hmm. anything. He he wanted her to come up with her own dance routines yeah. from herself, so it looked authentic. So yeah. it looked like somebody who's practicing to become a ballerina versus someone who's an established professional. And I thought that was a brilliant mm-hmm. move, you know, just to, yeah. to kind of let her think improvise. Think of all that, that, you know, mm-hmm. months ahead of time. You know, yeah. like you said, he sketched it out. Like, I want this character not he to did. do this or do that. But Everything was intentional. Yeah. From hey. the colors people wore to, you know. Even though he, there was no dialogue, even though when there is, you can't understand what they're saying, especially from his perspective. Like, there's a moment where Raymond Burr's outside doing the flowers and that woman just peeks over the, yeah. the fence and she says something to him and he says something back and she gets upset. You don't really hear what he says to her. It just, no. just know he's just being a dick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you should turn on uh, uh, subtitles and see what they say. Be like, intelligible. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love up. to see that. Yeah, it's usually it pops up and you're like, oh, I'm not supposed to hear that. I get it. Whispering in the courtyard. <laughs> like, yeah. But it's so fun because they play that music with the courtyard and it's like the music's playing and it's just like busy and things are happening. It is like the most lively courtyard apartment setting. Yeah. I mean, we're in an apartment now and it is not like that. No. <laughs> These people are just busy doing stuff yeah. constantly. Most people well, are probably sleeping also, or laying down. It's all, well, the way that it was structured, too, because they lived in New York City. Yeah. Um, the front side was what faced the main streets. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy Stewart's front door is actually on the opposite street than the yeah. than the uh, courtyard that we're viewing. Those people's front door, you know, is on the other side. So yeah. plus it was summer and exactly. hot. You would be out more, windows open. All this In time. a city, you have smaller space. It's like row homes, you know. Yeah. So that's kind of 
I th- right. obviously that's changed with the way we live. Another factor is they didn't have te- television wasn't that prominent. It was still right. a new thing in the yeah. 50s, so not everyone had access to it. They might have a radio, so they weren't really sitting down watching TV like exactly. a lot of people do now. They were right. They were out and about or air conditioning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They didn't have air conditioning yeah. either, so yeah, they had to do the, things. The guy that get pissed off at his piano constantly. <laughs> yeah, composer and. Well, I want to come back. That thing you said about like the windows being that the same ratio as a, as a movie screen. I thought was, I did not see notice that. I thought it was really cool. But the neat thing I thought was um, another thing Hitchcock had said about what he thought about suspense. And that scene you're talking about, Grace Kelly, is a, a perfect example because he said suspense can be, you know what? There's um, there's a bomb that will go off. And you have an explosion. That's kind of suspense mm-hmm. and whatever. Like, he goes, my vision of suspense is I show the audience the bomb in the satchel under the table, showing you the timer, showing you the people uh, who are completely unaware of how close that is to going off. Mm-hmm. He goes, that's how I create suspense. Mm-hmm. And that movie scene is perfect. Not only does it look like a little movie screen, but you see both sides. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you see the danger coming. and She's not aware of it. And then, you know, the mm-hmm. close calls. And then finally she's caught. And it's like... That is just so masterful to think. You are, again, so sucked yeah. in because, oh my God, you're like, I'm sure this is where people start talking to movie screens. Yeah. Don't go in there. Yes. He's on the other side. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is exactly what he's doing and he's been doing the whole movie. Right. Yeah, don't, oh there. my God. Yeah. He's, oh no. You know, that's so awesome. And that's also one of the first, not first times, but one of the rare times that we do see Jimmy Stewart from like a third party perspective where we see him starting to get frantic, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and getting nervous. Like, Lisa, you know, because he can see what's about ready to happen. And so that's also interesting because we kind of, we're letting, we're sort of kind of, he, what am I trying to say? We're, he's kind of letting us in at that point. A little bit more, yeah. You should have to see more of of Jimmy Stewart than we were before. Like you said, we're more from his perspective. Mm -hmm. So it's that rare time to see, you know, Jimmy act actually at a certain point to to respond to what things are going on. And that's something I want to point out, like. The, the actors in this movie will talk about two legendary performers that we have here. Like, these are as legendary as it gets. Say so no more. Jimmy Stewart and Raymond Burr. Exactly. <laughs> three. Hey, three. Excuse me. Three. Three legendary performers. Yeah. But We need a Bill Holden. Where was he? Yeah, yeah. Where is Will Holden? <laughs> Bill Holden. We need, we need Bill Holden in here. Uh, he was pretty much just shocking. One of the few 50s movies he didn't make. Exactly. Point, I was yeah. going to say. Um, but... Um, Jimmy Stewart always billed as James Stewart. Nobody ever calls him James Stewart. You know, I always it's always been Jimmy Stewart. But he is probably in my top ten, least top five favorite actors of all mm-hmm. time. I love Jimmy Stewart, and me too. I'm really drawn to his Hitchcock movies. For some reason, whenever he collaborated with Hitchcock, it, I think it brings out the best in Jimmy Stewart. You want to know why? Because Hitch, um, he loved Jimmy Stewart from a personal perspective. They were good friends. But he also loved the fact that Jimmy Stewart was able to represent the everyman. Mm-hmm. He was a little bit more identif- like identifiable than someone like Cary Grant and some of the some of these other people. And I not agree with that. I definitely think Jimmy Stewart. I think he's gorgeous and I love him. But I do see a quality in him that I feel like American men, especially at that point in time, could relate to him. Mm-hmm. You know, I could be I could be Jimmy Stewart. Not everybody can be a Cary Grant. You know, no. right, definitely. He's definitely more approachable that way. Yeah. Kind of not the not a actor, so to speak. He's not a movie star, right? I guess yeah. from that perspective. And if you think about all the characters he plays in Hitchcock movies, he always is kind of playing that everyman. He's not, even though he is the protagonist, he's not necessary. He doesn't come off as the protagonist or the the star of his universe, so to speak. That's interesting because it just made me think of that when you talk talk about Cary Grant in North by Northwest, of course. Mm-hmm. And I got to think about costuming. 
when you have you know poor Jimmy Stewart who's in his PJs like the whole time. <laughs> the whole movie he's got yeah. one outfit it's kind of like Northwest Cary Grant had one gray suit like the entire movie it was kind of thing it was kind of like almost the entire movie but it's kind of interesting where he kind of puts his, these men and the women get to wear whatever they want and be all fashion model and they're kind of like in this like role in this costume that says this is your person persona that you're going to have in this movie which is kind of neat but, and I love that about the character, and that's one thing I credit Stewart with. Well, a lot of leading men back then would not wear PJs <laughs> through their entire movie, but he will because that's the character. Right. The character he's supposed to be a guy on his at his lowest point in a way mm-hmm. because he's a photographer, he loves adventure, and that's all been taken away from him for several months. So all he's relegated to doing is staring out the window, sitting around, being a yeah. voyeur essentially. And although, let's be honest, it's not a bad life when. <laughs> You're in a good position in life if you're in your PJs all day and you're in your wheelchair and your girlfriend is Grace Kelly. All right, it's hard. And to... You have a nurse who comes over every day. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, and fix you meals. Who's, who's yeah. witty? You know, actually, yeah. is good company. Yeah. Um, but then again, if you think about it, his whole life, I guess, his career had been a voyeur. He's a, he's a yeah. photographer. Yeah. I thought about that too. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's a good point. I thought about it. it's like that was his, his whole life. He has, has been. a gift for seeing things that other people can't see. And maybe that's the paradox about this movie. And what interesting uh, parallel there might be about a movie about a guy that sees things other people don't see, directed by a man who sees <laughs> things other people <laughs> don't see. So right. it's like there's almost a lot of personal touches in this movie. That's true. That's, good. that's what uh, I mean. Yeah. Everything's intentional. I wouldn't doubt if that was... Mm-hmm. It's almost a self-commentary yeah. on it, in, in a yeah. way. How many yeah. layers can you go down and exactly. go, yeah, but he meant that. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He does have his... Hitchcock has my, one of my favorite cameos in this one. Oh, he, yeah. He's in the room with the piano player and he just turns and looks. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, I love his cameos. That's one thing Hitch always did well with, with cameos. Yeah. Well, now when you watch a movie, you you, you know, like you wait for it. You're like, it's yeah, like you're the, trying it's to find the little it. highlights of the movie, a little Easter egg. Like, there's Hitchcock. There he is. That's yeah. another element of suspense and excitement. I, Where's Hitchcock going to be in this yeah. movie? I like it better than Stan Lee's because Stan Lee has to talk and, you know, they're fine, but he's always Stanley. They dress him up, and, and well, yeah, I think it's one of those the thing you don't get an actor's credit unless you have a line. Yeah, yeah. Thing, so, so that's why he does it. Well, he's a director too, so he can. Yeah. you know, he gets a lot of credit. <laughs> that's that's the thing, though. You're right. Like it, it really has become a competition between Hitchcock and Stanley. Who has the more more cameos at this point? It's kind of up in the air. Yeah, um, but it's not it's not the uh, quantity. It's more so the quality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stanley this week. Hey, watch out! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stop <laughs> watching me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I love Stanley. Actually, I'll, yeah. I'll go out there. No, he's a character for sure. He is a character. Um, when the other legendary performer I was referring to, uh, we'll get to yours. But uh, uh, has there ever been a more beautiful woman on screen than Grace Kelly? Yes. In my opinion, well, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> I'm that. I don't know why you're going there. Do not go there with her. Yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm not going to get into debate. I would just say in my vacuum here, uh, I love Grace. Uh, if I had a dream girl. A dream woman from cinema. It has to be Grace Kelly, specifically in this movie. Like, I she mean, she's, just, she's fantastic. Well, I think it goes along your line there. Grace Kelly and Audrey Hepburn are, are more Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant. I mean, yeah. they're you know two very distinct people with two different you know kind of I think the roles they play. I mean, you cannot see Grace Kelly as Sabrina. Probably, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't think, but maybe I not. don't know. But if you're going to make a comparison between the two, because I was thinking about this earlier, because they are contemporary performers, like they kind of came of age at the same time, at least initially in their careers. And they kind of represented a certain type of woman, like debonair and class. Now you're getting Marilyn Monroe at the same time, who's kind of the opposite of that. 
um, but uh, in you know with Jane Mansfield and, and that type. But on the opposite end of the spectrum was Audrey Hepburn and Grace Kelly, or kind of debonair upper class. Yeah. You know, the difference I think is well, Audrey had a much longer career, obviously, but um, Audrey also showed more range as an actress. In fairness, like you know, I don't think yeah. Grace Kelly was ever going to have the range of somebody like Audrey Hepburn demonstrated in the '60s. Because it's hard for me to see Grace Kelly. Because I think the one time that she did show, like, playing a downtrodden character was The Country Wife, which she actually won an Oscar for. But wasn't was that good. a rewrite of Philadelphia Story? No, that was High Society. That's High Society. Yeah. Okay. The Country Girl. I'm so sorry. The Country Girl. Okay. And, yeah, I didn't come across that. It's like, and she won an Oscar that year. This, this what beat out Sabrina, I thought, wasn't it? No. no, no yeah. No, the Audrey won for Roman Holiday. Right. Was Sabrina even up for an Oscar? I think it was. It was Sabrina. For... I think she might have been nominated. I, I don't okay. know for I don't sure, know. but right. I yeah. know. No, that was not for that. They were nominated only in technical categories. That's okay. what it was. Yeah. The, okay. There was a big controversy when Grace Kelly won for the Country Girl. It was the same year that Rare Window came out, 1954. Oh, okay. So she won it in 55. She beat out Judy Garland in A Star Is Born. That's a right. big oh, controversy. Wow. Yeah. Um, the big steal. Yeah, that's, that's that what happened. they considered it. Yeah. It's kind of like with Audrey and Judy, Julie Andrews, mm-hmm. right? That was Although kind of I have to say, I feel that it was deserved for Julie Andrews. I mean, Mary Poppins is it's such an amazing. And Julie Andrews is so talented. And I mean, not to discredit Audrey, I think she did some great work in My Fair Lady, and it is a wonderful film. But I do think, um, I think it was well-deserved. I think it was tough. Yeah. It would have been tough. But yeah. it's interesting to look at Oscar history anyway, so you're like... That you know, like that one, you know, yeah. and these things like you know, like the country. Well, who's heard of the country? I had never heard of it until I came across it researching this movie, yeah. and I'm like, of course I've heard of Stars. Well, I've heard every other movie on that yeah. list except that one. You're like, well, what? here's the thing with Grace Kelly, and I'm a big fan. Don't get me wrong, I do like Grace Kelly. I think, I do think one of the differences, and this is kind of um, on the same like wave as what you were saying dip between Audrey and Grace, is that um, Audrey just came off a little bit warmer. If that makes sense, like well, she was quirky. Well, she was quirky. Well, Audrey was like, no. I mean, even in real life, like Audrey was kind of quirky. She had a sense of humor. Um, I don't know. She just seemed a little bit warmer. Like Grace Kelly kind of came off not mean, but just a little bit more serious. Well, in the, ways like yeah, the description I think was the Hitchcock Ice Queen, which she was kind of put the quintessential Hitchcockian. Okay. Uh, although this movie, she she's great. She's fantastic because yeah. uh, in a lot of other Hitchcock movies. They're, they tend to be, let's say, Vertigo, for example. Kim Novak is kind of a distant character. She's right. kind of like a dream-esque, dreamlike yeah. character. Eva Marie Saint is kind of a mystery in North by Northwest. Grace Kelly actually has a character she here. Does. We are invested in her. She's a three-dimensional, yes. flesh-and-blood character. Um, and I think with, with Grace Kelly, uh, there are two different types of movie stars that I think are great. One is, is a character that's almost like a chameleon. You can play a wide range of characters. I'd say, for a modern example, Daniel Day-Lewis is an mm-hmm. example of that. Um, you know, Johnny Depp, in a way, had that kind of range. And then there are other actors, I think, like George Clooney, that are great at being George Clooney, but they pick great scripts, gotcha. and they know how to play it. And I think Grace Kelly puts into that category, which she plays, is so great. It doesn't matter. She doesn't have to show range. She's great just being Grace Kelly. Gotcha. Yeah, like those scenes... You know, I found the most powerful scenes watching it again were, you know, the wordplay between her and Jimmy about their relationship and where it's going and what it, where it's not going. And, mm-hmm. you know, those are, you know, if you, if you just had those and just isolate them, they were so powerful and painful. 
They yeah, are six. He would he say to her. her. Yeah. yeah. No, I would have been out of there. I was like, wow. Taking my to go food to go. I mean, talk about a slap. You're like, ouch. That I know. <laughs> those are some of my favorite scenes in any movie. I yeah. absolutely love those those conversational scenes between uh, Jeff and uh, Lisa because Definitely. it's just so. It, it's Lisa. so dimensional. It's so layered. It's yeah. witty. It's funny, and it feels like two real people having a real conversation about their yeah. relationship. It's so well written. Yeah, and there was place. a line that she specifically had. I can't remember it now, but I liked it at the time. Remember, I joked with you, and I said, "I'm going to use that with you when we get into arguments." Yeah, what was it? Oh, she says something like, "If your um, if your opinion is as uh, poor as your manners, and I don't think I care to hear it. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> it was funny. That was good. Yeah, that was a great that's, line. A, that's an ice queen line if there ever was one. Exactly. It's, a, it's yeah. as vulgar as your... As Something your, like that, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. as vulgar as no, your but I, mean, yeah. I don't care to hear it. But yeah, but I mean, he, I, I can't blame her. He was He was, he really, was being... And I said to him, I said... He's mean to her. <laughs> yeah, I never really realized, you know, like it's like no, this is the way it's going to be. This is why I am. Deal with it, you know, kind of. And, and he was almost kind of saying that she was that she like that fashion was frivolous, which I can certainly see how some people might say, say that on the exterior, but a lot of people I know that are into fashion or you know fashion designers themselves are very creative and highly intelligent people. Yeah, well, why? And I certainly think you know this exactly. Well, I certainly think she was an example of someone who was highly creative and yeah. intelligent in this movie, and she was very much into fashion. But he almost sort of like um, shamed her or, yeah. or degraded well, he her, her, her exactly her, her for, life for being that day. way. Yeah, Jeff is a complete and utter asshole at the beginning of this movie yeah. because, like, first of all, you should be thankful that you have anybody in the stratosphere of Lisa at your doorstep. I think there's a lot of insecurity there because she's a socialite and she's yeah. beautiful and she is talented, like you said, and she's intelligent. That he may not be able to live up to her. I think that's um, the undercurrent. Is this, there's a lot he, of insecurities. There's like an inferiority thing. Oh, that's true. Yeah, like I'm just a sh- I'm just an average ordinary Joe. Why are you going out with him? Yeah, why are you going? I think that's always been the undercurrent of that. That's how I've always figured it. I, I always said it because that's the only rationale I have for anybody well, thinking this is a mistake. I think yeah. also too, and sometimes you know, especially when you're older, um, for people who have never been married, and let's say they're in their 30s or 40s, which is probably the case for this movie, the characters are maybe in their 30s or 40s. And he's never been tied down, especially the fact that he's an adventurer. I'm sure he was trying to talk himself into the fact, I don't want to be tied down. No, I can't realistically see myself with her because she doesn't like adventure, and I don't want to give up that life. But she's Grace Kelly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, and here's the reason why I say that is because later on in the film, when she does show that she is more daring, and she takes risks, and she becomes more adventurous, like going across the street and getting into his apartment, stealing the ring, these things, and you know, there's that one scene where she comes back, um... And she's all excited. She's when she dropped the note off. She's like, "What did his face look like?" Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Stewart just gives her this like look of admiration when she comes through the door. And I think that was kind of like a breaking point where he realized like maybe this really could be the one because she's proving to him that she can be the girl that he needs and she can be adventurous um, if he just gave her the chance to be. I think Grace Kelly does a great job of playing someone who's truly attracted to Jeff. You know, because there is kind of a quiet age difference that they don't really emphasize in the movie. But unlike, you know, like we talked about Sabrina with Humphrey Bogart and Audrey Hepburn and how it was hard for us to buy that they were a real couple. I really do buy them as, as a yes. couple. Oh, absolutely. They have such great chemistry. It's probably some of the best chemistry I've ever seen on screen between two actors, um, especially in a romantic sense. Yeah. Um, and I, I could see somebody like Grace Kelly 
like her character being drawn to him because I think she likes that he is not the typical guy she would date. Like he is an interesting guy. He's funny. You know, he's got that sargonic. And he's not like materialistic because sometimes people yeah. in the fashion industry or that might be in the same industry as you, you may not really have a whole lot in common with. Like, especially if you're in performing arts or fashion, like things like that. Um, it's easy for people, I think, to get caught up in that. Mm-hmm. And to get caught up in that lifestyle that they kind it of defines forget. everything. Exactly. Yeah. And he's obviously, he could care less about suits and ties. And he's more about, he has like, I don't know, simpler views mm-hmm. on things. And I think it's a nice contrast, you know, opposites attract. But yeah. you were saying about him about being an asshole. That, that got me thinking about, I started he looking at the, at the male characters. For the most part, most of them are not very likable. No. There's only two, really, that are likable. Jeff's kind of borderline. Yeah. The songwriter. Yes. Is, yeah. is kind of okay, especially at the end. You kind of see that. Yeah. And then, but, you know, everybody else, I mean, Miss Lonely Hearts almost gets date raped by her, her the guy that's in her life. Yeah. 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 Too. you got Miss Torso and the wolves. She was better are, with the invisible man. Right. Miss <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah, Torso had the wolves. Uh-huh. You know, Thorwald's a murderer, so we got that, yeah. you know. Uh, and there's Jeff, who's not real great. And then, you know, so it's like, wow, so he's like, he doesn't really portray men really well in this movie. And Jeff's a, a voyeur. Well, and do you know why? Because and, in 1954, men viewed women as objects. Right, but to, to have the daring to and, show that in a movie in 1954, I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think Hitchcock always had a reputation for being kind of chauvinistic himself, that he always treated oh, women yeah. as, as objects. But this movie, you're absolutely right. The men are the one, the people who look terrible. The women look great. They're three dimensional. Mm-hmm. You identify with them. Like I feel I sorry like for uh, Lisa at the beginning because she she's such a nice person and she loves Jeff, genuinely loves him so much, and yet he doesn't appreciate it. At least doesn't come off that way. And I think Thelma Ritter's character is oh, is fantastic mm-hmm. too. She's a she's she has great advice. She has, she's funny. I mean, they're both probably the most likable, genuinely likable characters. I love oh, I love the um... and she's right. Yeah, yes, she is. She yes, says the East hundred percent. Well, I was just gonna say I loved her feminine intuition, and I think that was a testament. In a way, it was sort of like um, highlighting feminism because Lisa was very you know astute to what was going on, and she was able to make these claims because she was a woman and because she knew women mm-hmm. you know like the part about the pocketbook and then you know women just don't go on vacations and not take their favorite pocketbook or their and women don't throw their jewelry in bags they they'll get tangled and like yeah. she just knows all these things about women that's that's accurate and r- helps kind of better make sense of um what's happening and well, i love I think, that i think thelma rather though it was interesting because you have these two characters who think of themselves as worldly, and they are in their way, but they're they're worldly in these smaller worlds. Where Thelma Winter was more like, I know I know these people. Like if somebody kills their wife, they're going to do it in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. There should be yeah. the body parts in the river. I mean, she knows people real. You know, like you know, like school of hard knocks. You want to call yeah. it or, yeah. or street smarts or whatever. And I like that influence. It's like you two are very well, uh, you know, career and smart in your areas, but I know people. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you what's going on. You know. Well, there's also a remark, like, uh, as far as the chauvinistic uh, treatment of the women in this movie, like, where they're talking about female intuition, I think the detective brings it up. Right. Like, oh, yeah, he, like, nothing has gotten me in worse trouble than female intuition. <laughs> and it's like, and yet they're right. They're both right. Absolutely. They're the smartest because people in the movie. Because I'm, a lot of times, like, men back then, I think, uh, well, they just belittled women. They felt, oh, you're a woman. What do you know? Right. You don't know anything. I'm the man. I'll make the decisions, and I know what's best. And that was, you know, an example of that. I do like that scene, though, where he, um, he comes over and he sees 
Lisa's little bag with her nightie, and he kind of gives Jimmy Stewart a look, and Jimmy Stewart goes, careful now. Like, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. That's Bad. so, careful. yeah. I love that scene. Yeah, yeah. It's so awesome. Because that is awesome. you know what's going through each one of their minds. Yeah. Right, yeah. He's telling him, and I know we're friends, exactly. but don't go there. Right, don't yeah. go there. And I just love that. I think it was really cute, and I like. She's it. my doormat, son. <laughs> no, no, because they weren't <laughs> married, you know, in the 1950s, and... I just like that. And he's like, you know, well, it's about the landlord later. There's, there's certain things you tell your landlord. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I like the thing, though. The cop plays the role, which is forever in every movie with a cop. He has the, the quintessential line, and, and to paraphrase in later movies, is it doesn't matter what I know. All that matters is what I can prove. Yeah. I yeah. love that. I thought that's like, I mean, again, that's another scene that echoes throughout movies for the next, you know, 50 years is that every cop has the same problem. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, people think they know things, but how do I prove that? That's, yeah. that's the dilemma. And I like that he was kind of that uh, you know, anchor in that regard. Well, you don't really, as a viewer, you don't really know if he killed her or not. You don't. You're right. You, you really don't. don't. See it. You don't. You just know what Jimmy Stewart knows, and you see what he sees, and you can kind of, you know, make an educated assumption that that this guy did something quite dastardly. And, um, you know, we Tony and I were talking today that she mentioned that she just thinks that he was slowly poisoning her over a period of time. Because the wife was sick in bed for yeah. a few yeah. days, remember? That's yeah. true. I think I he was slowly that. poisoning her. Like, That's you know, a great theory. Yeah. Giving her, you know, very high dosages of poison, but not enough to... Yeah. To kill her at one time, and yeah. not a lethal dose, but just slowly kill her. But that's great. Like Hitchcock, though, makes you go along. Like you don't know anything. You're like, well, maybe. Did it, do we know he killed her? We do because we've seen the movie before. But if watching for the first time, like, well, we don't really. Nobody knows that. I mean, you have to play it out. You have to follow yeah. along. And the story is not the story between uh, the Thorn. Was it Thorn? Thorn Thornhill. Thornhill. Thornhills. Thornwall. 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 We're clearly of research these names. We're clearly of detail. I just got it written down. There is a Thornhill character in North by Northwest. Right, that's it. Thornwall. That's what happens. We'll get some research on that. Anyways, the story isn't about like the motives behind the murder or what the relationship It's The story is Jimmy Stewart trying to prove that he, this guy, killed his wife. That's all that matters, you know. It doesn't matter the motive behind why he killed his wife. We never know that. And we really don't know that he did until the end when, you know, right. the cop comes out and says, he confessed everything, which is kind of weird, but... Of course, yeah. <laughs> That's like everything like ever I like, too, when he's, like, packing the trunk and then, you know, Grace mm-hmm. Kelly's like, now, if she's just going on vacation for a week, why on earth is she putting all of her belongings into a trunk? She just goes off into this rant, like, women don't just throw all their clothes like that. <laughs> but it's it's funny, and, and it might seem silly, like Jimmy Stewart's character is kind of like this, but it's so spot on. Right. I mean, everything she said is good observation. And, yeah, women, I mean, I'm very... Packing is a process for me, guys, okay? Mm-hmm. I write out an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah. I map every day out from accessories to shoes is what I'm going to wear. I'm not saying that Mrs. Thornhill... Or Mrs. Thornwall was this... Well, she wasn't because she was... Well, I have an app that does the same thing. But the same idea. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, women are, I think, are very uh, meticulous yes. about it. They don't just throw everything in a trunk and say, bon voyage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Doesn't she make a comment about the handbag at Exactly. Some she yeah. says, she goes, now that must have been her favorite handbag. And he said, well, how do you know that? She said, because it was hanging on the edge of her bed. Women always keep their favorite handbag, uh, you know, close, close at spot. hand. Yeah. Exactly. And that, what do you see over there, guys? Yeah, a yeah. coat, a coat it's rack full of You will get somebody convict, convicted of murder, but exactly. it, you're right. But it's neat how yeah. she she brings bring all she brings these things out to you. Like oh, yes, yeah. she she brings things to light that men wouldn't otherwise think about or even consider, just because you know they're men and they don't even have handbags. Exactly, they have satchels. Mm-hmm. But again, so I proved. I mean, I mean, it took the two of them 
Exactly. Well, actually, three of them to actually come yeah. up with enough evidence to, to push him over the edge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that was also in a very subtle way, Hitchcock's um, way of, of helping Jeffrey, the character of Jeffrey, realize, okay, maybe this woman is the one for me because they're working together. And, mm-hmm. you know, Scott, you made the comment when we watched it, you liked that the fact that they really bonded over this. Yeah. It added an element of excitement to their relationship and kind of rekindled whatever was maybe... Maybe, maybe saved the relationship. Exactly, right? exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And there's a moment when she, there's that one... There, you can only see one part of the street, which is a little slower. Yeah. And, she and then she walks by and she waves to him. And it's kind of like, you know, when she was going over, she just kind of turned and waved to him. And it was just kind of like a fun little moment that they had before... Put the Which is something women would scene. do because yeah. I know I would wave. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I just enjoy yeah. watching them interact and work as a team so much towards yes. the end. It's just such 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 fun because she is getting into it. Like it's almost like a nat- an adult Nancy Drew yes. or an adult Hardy Boys adventure yeah. that they're starting to have at the end. You know, that's kind of her. And, and it's really turning him on. Yeah, I mean, he he I think turns a new leaf when he sees her. He gets excited by the fact that he, she's into this adventure and she's taking. You know, it as seriously as he is. Well, I can't really relate to why he wasn't turned on from the beginning. <laughs> I can't either. As a full blood I mean, male, okay, man. let's just stop for one moment and talk about the costumes. Grace Kelly's outfits. Edith Head for the win. She uh, created all of the costumes for Grace Kelly, and I love every single one of them. That black and white dress that she wears when we first meet her is just to die for. You know, I'm not uh, at all an aficionado when it comes to fashion or costume. I appreciate it and respect it, but it's not something like, you know, immediately drawn to. But I will say this, as someone who doesn't follow it immediately, these, the dresses in this movie Mm -hmm. and her outfits do stand out. Like, I remember them all pretty vividly when I watch it. Like, the first outfit we see with that great shot that Hitchcock, when she kisses him for the first time on film... And that black dress, and you know, and then the there's, white, black oh. and white. Talk about making an entrance. You're just like, I, I mean, I, I mean, I, I do admire the fashion. I do, I love watching it, and that is so visually arresting. Mm-hmm. I mean, you cannot notice her. You do not look away. You are completely focused on her, and I mean, you immediately have this sense of who this person is mm-hmm. from that one shot. I mean, you know. She's a socialite, you know. She's into fashion. I mean, all that comes. Is but apparent. you can tell that she's loving and caring, right? You know, but it's like the scene you said, like he sets up the introduction to Jeff mm-hmm. by those little vignettes. You know, he yeah. does that in a single shot there mm-hmm. with her. And then, but again, that's costuming for you. Yeah. Right? Really and also, that. just how fluffy she is, sort of afterwards, kind of like fluffing around the apartment, fixing things, and then, I, you know, do you want to go to such and such? I can't remember the name of the <laughs> restaurant. Well, I brought it to us. You know, yeah. she's just. And, and it just she's made lobster for him. I'm like, man, yeah. this is a woman. <laughs> yeah, she, she's bringing in lobster to, to cook for you mm-hmm. immediately. Well, when she took off the jacket and she had the sleeveless underneath, yeah. I'm yeah. Sorry, I was like, ooh, I'm a little sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> that outfit, I know. Oh. I seriously want every single outfit in this movie. And I think Grace Kelly is beautiful. And don't get me wrong, I do love her. You just can't compare her to Audrey, not in my presence. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, so let's talk about her by herself. But I do love Grace Kelly, and I think she's great in the film, and she's so beautiful. And one of the things I wanted to add about the costuming was Edith Head worked very closely with, with Hitch about this, and they, they handpicked certain colors that they wanted to create moods. Um, and if you notice all of her costumes, while they're very, um, really stunning and captivating, they're all a little bit subtle. Even that little green suit that she wears, it's like mm-hmm. a lighter green, it's a muted color. And then when she, the scene where she goes across the street, she's wearing like a, a white and almost like a rust orange colored dress and all the colors are very muted and soft to sort of fit into to the mood of Jeffrey's but apartment. stronger as the movie but goes very on. strong exactly and and they're so captivating you're still mm-hmm. you know of course 
in all fairness, now it's the three of us against you, but Grace Kelly in a brown sack is going to start trying to I agree. Right. I agree. Grace Kelly is beautiful. I'm not not saying that. I want to emphasize Grace Kelly is beautiful with a capital B. Like it's, it's, I it's agree. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And yeah I what I was going to say, too, is... The way she I, shot, too, is... Right. Uh, well, that's what I mean. The colors, you know, they had the softness of the lens to, to sort of create almost a foggy, as if you're just waking up. That's why when she first comes in, it's really soft, and then it gets clearer. I don't know if you've noticed... I'm, sure, I'm yeah. happy to not notice it. But that, again, was another camera trick that I applaud Hitchcock on because just the attention to detail, he made it seem as if we were Jeffrey waking up and then at first it's a little blurry, but then we see this beautiful... You know, talk about color. every man. I mean, every man watching the movie is now immediately in putting himself in Jimmy Stewart's place as the yes. character in that movie. Because, yeah. you know, at the time, that had to be a lot of people's dream girl, literally. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. It, it is now. I mean, yeah. for some people. But to wake like, up and go, wow, to see her like that, that's... that's guys yeah, and the red kill for that. Well, I know Hitchcock loved her in real life, too. He like, did. Uh, he had kind of an unhealthy obsession with her. Yeah, which makes <laughs> sense, considering his subject matters of this movie, is that that would unhealthy, happen. Unhealthy, but maybe not unreasonable. Okay, yeah. I'll just say that. I just said unhealthy, yeah. <laughs> I heard people like on the set though, like they people that worked on the set, I watched on the documentary. They absolutely loved yeah, they Jimmy did. Stewart and Grace mm-hmm. Kelly. They loved both of them. Said mm-hmm. how great they are. And to your point, like we always kind of think of her as an ice queen. From what I've heard, he was she was a genuinely nice person. She had kind of an interesting, kind of quirky sense of humor. Apparently, mm-hmm. I read yeah, where she, she had looked, a rep for being a little too nice. But yeah, yeah, that that was it. Like, uh, well, she, and that's kind of what I was saying. When we were talking about her and Audrey. Is that. She just came off. I'm not saying she was really like that, but mm-hmm. the the roles that she chose. Absolutely. She just came off as someone colder and less, and because she was so beautiful. Not that Audrey isn't, but it was harder, oh, I think, it. for some for every woman to identify mm-hmm. with Grace Kelly. And the fact that she became a princess. Mm-hmm. That's a, it's, I, it's I a, mean, she's a dis, living, yes. breathing Disney character. Yes, exactly. Point. exactly. Yeah, she she basically is Snow White and Cinderella and brought to life. And she became a real princess. So. She did legitimately I mean. a real princess, yeah. which I think was a shame for film buffs because we only got yeah. like five or six years yeah. of Grace Kelly on screen but, because she became the princess. But listen, Monica. I'm not hating Grace Kelly's a Philadelphia girl as myself, so. I'm representing. Wow, well, she masters the Mid Atlantic accent to a T. If you want a textbook example of Mid Atlantic accent, go to Grace mm-hmm. Kelly and anything, and you'll find. Is it Mid Atlantic or Transatlantic? Transatlantic. It, I think it's Mid Atlantic, right? Because it's between it the both both channels. Well, Transatlantic means both, like okay. tra- like trans. I think European and American. Exactly. Yeah. It's like an undefinable accent. Yeah. Well, I want. Can we talk a little bit about? I always wanted to talk about uh, Miss Torso. Okay. Yeah. Again, I thought uh, it was yeah. interesting. Did, um, I got a I got a real vibe. I don't know why I keep coming back to Audrey movies, but maybe it's because of the time period. But I got a very Holigo Lightly feel. Yes, so because she's talking about I juggling agree. wolves. I'm like, why is she juggling wolves? Anyways, why are these guys in her apartment all the time? I thought so too. Yeah, it's like, is this you know, is this how does she have with her income? I mean, that whole like fifty dollars to go to the powder room thing. Because mm-hmm. these dudes in tuxedos are always at her door. She's going out. And this is obviously she's working, not, not a true love. She's an unemployed well, dancer for the most part. Well, that and there was a scene later on where you do see like mm-hmm. a, um, a veteran, a war hero or a soldier of some sort. He It looks like maybe he's her husband. He comes home. Or a boyfriend. And they, yeah, yeah he he's yeah. a boyfriend. So I don't know what the story is there, but she did have someone, which is probably right. Like, but look at these other guys. In the meantime, it's like, it, it, it's that whole, like, I'm, I go out with them and they buy me dinner. And what is that? Whole, it's kind of neat. That's again, kind of a we mystery. Don't know we don't know. Yeah. We get kind of sucked into it a little bit. I thought that was so right. neat. And then, of course, you know, the, she's having that little party. With all the, the overt sexuality. Yeah. She bends over to the fridge, you know, more than once, you know, okay, we get it. Yeah. You know, but 
It's, it's, She's in that little outfit. I know, but that character is so neat. But I, you start looking again. You start looking at all the characters. You start trying to extrapolate their stories mm-hmm. yeah. or um, retroactively. I'm so curious about Miss Lonely Hearts. You know, I wonder was she married and lost her husband maybe in war, or she seems very content and comfortable with the idea of being in a relationship, which makes me think that she, perhaps she was at some point, and she longs to have that sort of stable life again. Well, 1954, That's though, sort of the expectation was you would be married and a mother. Well, that too. And if you did achieve that, that could be a lot of lot of pressure. There's and probably was, far greater torment older. in her yeah. situation than it would be now. You know, like right. you know, like yeah. she like she even goes to a bar, which just feels like a sad scene to me. Like she's going over to a bar. Are sad. I know they are. They're just yeah. so okay. Maybe not right. the suicide scene. <laughs> <laughs> that is right. so sad. Yeah, I know. I was like, this lonely hearts. No. Yeah, but the but first th- scene is kind of it's sad, but it's kind of charming. You know, yeah. it's like she's acting out like as if so she's on a date. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of gives you. Like, it gives her a lot of personality, you know. And, That's and, something uh, that you would... It's definitely the most... And Jeff kind of laughs at her, though. Because it's kind of yeah, comical. Yeah. Well, they always well, go back to it was comical at first, because it seemed like she was like playing. You didn't really know. But then as we got to know her better, we realized how sad that initial scene really was. At first, you think, is she just minding or playing? You know, like, you don't really know what's going on. So I could definitely see why he would laugh, because from the exterior, it was funny looking... Here she is lighting a candle and pretending right. like she's cheersing someone. It's yeah. like, what? Yeah. But yeah. then as we get to know her, we realize that's sad. You but know? Don't, you, don't you feel like you'd love to know more about each one of these characters? I, I do. Yes. They can all be their own. Enough. They can all be their own movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, exactly. This Lonely Hearts could be a movie. Uh, Miss Torso could be the a movie. Composer. The songwriter, the composer yeah. could yeah. be a film, you know. Hey, Raven Bird, that's certainly a movie in and of itself. Yeah, that it, it almost, again, like I talk about Love Actually, where you can kind of see all these interplay and then have them all kind of, kind of come together. You can see how they all interconnect anyways, but then have all their stories intersect again later, as other oh, yeah. movies have done. Because they all live in the same apartment complex. Right, and how they interact you know, outside those connections, run deep, you know. And as, well, the songwriter ends up with Miss Lonely Hearts kind of thing, and... So. Well, even when the dog gets lowered from the top <laughs> out, I mean, it's such a weird, quirky thing. That is so awesome. Yeah, and this gets lowered and it goes out. But maybe it's a New York thing. Like, if, if you yeah. live in a, in, a, in a tenement area, maybe that's yeah. maybe that's not that unusual. In the 50s, but, that, was a, that was a thing that you For Midwesterners, you're like, holy crap, but that's genius. Yeah, <laughs> Why do you want the dog? Yeah. You know, I, I feel sorry for the dog, too, in this yeah, fate. I mean, the dog died. knew too much? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The dog, and and that scene is sad, too, and the neighbor's like, we're all supposed to be neighbors. Which one of you did it? It's just so sad because it's like. Oh. Because who doesn't break into a monologue against the neighborhood when your dog dies? You know, most people, there's no morning, was just like, all oh, you people, he, yeah. he was the nicest person in the neighborhood and you all shunned him. You killed him. Why? And then everybody immediately goes back to living their lives. Yeah. After she's in Vancouver. Doesn't one person laugh or like shrug or I something? I think so. Like, yeah. yeah, and they all just kind of go back. Well, they didn't kill him. <laughs> it was yeah. Their yeah, Raymond Burr, what a but vicious you know, you bastard that he is. Today. I mean, it's almost a rule that you don't kill the pets in the movies unless you're really going for some shock value. People really dislike hurting the animals. I mean, you can mow down people by the hundreds, but kill an animal, people lose their minds. They do. Like, I remember in Jaws, like, when the dog died, like, where they hint that the dog died. Mm-hmm. It always bothered me more than anything else right. that anybody else who died in the movie. There's just something, because they're... I guess we feel protective of animals in a way, like little kids too. I think that's I was going to say, I'm more sensitive to kids. Like, yeah. we were watching an episode of Game of Thrones, and there was a young girl... Mm-hmm. They got burned at the stake, and they didn't show the details. But before it, she was like screaming and crying, and yeah, she was yelling, hard, "Mom, yeah. mom!" And it, like I get emotional even thinking that, about yeah, it. That really yeah, got right. me. Like I can't yeah. handle kid, you know, when I see but, animals. I, I mean, I do feel for, but little kids, I'm like, I'm done. But maybe the monologue was to kind of, in some ways, lighten that scene a little bit. You know? Exactly, mm-hmm. and you the know. fact that they're all like, "Huh, yeah. we're just gonna go back to heaven." <laughs> yeah, because really, that was just a plot 
device to move the plot along. Exactly. As to why we need to look here and what's going on. Because then it made him say, what was in that garden? And then that's yeah. when Grace Kelly goes back over. And I do love that when she's talking with him and she has her hands behind her back. Oh, I love that And she points too. to the ring. That, that she's probably yeah. being, uh, she knows she's being watched. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. It's a great sequence because I love what you mentioned with the ring. And then you see Raymond Burr look at it and it yes. looks straight at Jimmy Stewart. That's a beautiful sequence yeah. of events yes. that they, they pull off. Raymond Burr, by the way, is outstanding in this movie. He has very little dialogue. But his stares say everything. Like you just mm-hmm. you see, tell this is a mean spirited dude. Like that he he's kind of self absorbed, maybe narcissistic, just because of the looks he gives. Like he feels in, like this is what I do. I mean, he's, well, I you think want he's, him to be the murderer. I think yeah, he's also. Yeah. I, I think he's also very paranoid, rightfully so. He just killed his wife, and he's just paranoid. And then when he finds out people are on to him. That, that heightens that emotion. But even when you don't see him, the scenes where he's sitting there in the dark smoking a cigarette, yeah. that's yeah. scary. I mean, that's yeah. really cool, but you can't even really see him in that scene. Yeah. No. And you're still like, Ooh. You just see the, the light of the cigarette. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's in there. I do love that that scene where she points to the ring and then he looks down and then the way he like pierces up because we're looking because the way that the camera is is as if we're Jimmy Stewart so we all instantly <gasps> when well, he looks up and then Jimmy Stewart kind of reels back in his chair a little bit to get out. Well, even when he before that when he grabs her and you see Jimmy Stewart like yeah. just back it up and he yeah. can't do anything and he can't do anything he likes to, no, he, he I think he feels like he starts kind of crying a little bit yeah, he's he's like, crying. what do we do like what yeah, do we he's do he's unable to do anything yeah. about it and in fairness he is guilty of these things he yeah. actually was the one who, who got her involved in this whole scenario with his, his own mm-hmm. voyeuristic tendencies and then it led to this and then he and also just a shocking when he gets attacked in that apartment yeah because I love the way Stuart turns the lights off He's completely in the dark, and I love that sequence when the Rainbow finally enters his apartment yeah. and starts saying, "Do you want money? What do you guys want?" And uh, Stuart, you never see his face; you just and he just talking. Talk. Well, he he even waits a very long time to talk. He does. And then Rainbow's like, "Say something." Yeah, it's like that's another thing. It's like nobody ever knocks. Nobody just walks into his apartment. You ever notice that? No. Well, because they, the know, it, they know he can't get up and get it. I no. can't, but you figure as a curse, you'd say, "Hey, I'm outside. Can I come in?" Well, uh, not the murderer. Uh, he's in a wheelchair. He can wheel over and lock the I door. Guess and yeah. Well, no, it's a step up. He can't get up to that. There's a yeah, tall there was, step up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, there you go. Hitchcock's brilliant. He puts yeah. step up. He can't get to the door no matter what he does. No. Uh-uh. No. She unlocked it because she left the apartment. Exactly. Yeah, we don't. Of course, the important thing is how does he go to the bathroom? Nobody ever discusses that, but that's another thing. We don't need to get involved in that movie, but that's kind of interesting. Well, he, so, he has a maybe. There's not a step up for the bathroom. It's yeah. just, just, well, I get the impression that the woman kind of wipes him down. I don't know if she goes all the way down, but remember, mm-hmm. like she gives him massages like a, and stuff. Yeah, like a, a sponge bath. Kind of a sponge yeah, bath thing. Yeah. Maybe that's it. But yeah, mm-hmm. that's kind of neat. But that was just a great way to, to get Thelma Ritter into the scenes. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Yeah, it she was fantastic. Character. Good. She, and it's a great way of, of weaving in expos- exposition about, like you said earlier, about uh, yeah. Jeffries as she comes in because we learn everything about him. We learn that he he's on the fence about his relationship with Lisa. Mm-hmm. He's a photojournalist. He's done all these things. But the main thing that keeps talking about with respect to the relationship with Lisa is how he doesn't want to give up his life. Mm-hmm. But not like tra- how the travel like, and everything, yeah. Have you hit your head? What is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, 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 exactly. You're never going to find someone this great. Right. Ever again. No, yeah. If you're going to settle down with anybody, this is this is. But it's got a great course for the rest of it. Yeah, duh. Well, yeah. we had to kind of learn the hard way. And I think in that moment when he saw that her life was on the line, potentially, yeah. he realized, hey, this is, you know, sometimes it takes people extreme situations to make them realize what they have. Or he didn't really know her as well as maybe he thought he did. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that was after she started getting into the adventure. And I think his feelings for her started getting stronger just by virtue of the fact that he was seeing a different side of her. 
because he kind of almost seemed like he just thought she was frivolous and materialistic, and now he's seeing that. But I wonder why he started dating. Well, I know why anybody would start dating her in the first place. But if yeah. he wasn't, if he wasn't impressed with that to begin with, what caused him to start dating her? Period. Because he still wanted to maintain that relationship. He says, oh, "Can we keep things status quo?" Yeah. Guys are shallow. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I mean, I assume they met on a, a photo shoot or something. Yeah, he didn't make a photographer. Yeah, because yeah. they did show him shooting like 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 women on life magazines and stuff. Yeah. They showed. So my guess is they yeah they probably met through that channel. You would think that's kind of tied. Yeah. That's why again why it works. You know you can you buy the story you buy the relationship because the way they interact their careers kind mm-hmm. of intersect. So you, yeah you really, they do. He, again like you said Hitchcock builds this whole world that you immediately fall into and and go mm-hmm. along with. You have just really a whole lot of suspension of disbelief of any of these characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. and men always want their cake and eat it. They always want to have the cake and eat yeah. it too. He's a selfish so, bastard. He really is. He's yeah. a selfish yeah. bastard. Yeah. He likes to peep in on other people because he's bored. Right. Right, right, yeah. He's a lawyer. He's it's like, dude, dude, get a book, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's not the reading type. He even no, said that. Yeah, yeah, he even said that. Um, one thing I wanted to touch base on is the music in this movie. Now, I'm kind of used... Bernard Herrmann? It's not Bernard Herrmann in this instance. Because so. it, it actually, Bernard Herrmann is a guy I put on the level of John Williams as like competing mm-hmm. for the best film composer in history And Henry Mancini. Yeah, Mancini is certainly up there. But um, this one, it's like a... It's not by Bernard Herrmann, and it's a light, more lighthearted score. Um, it's like jazzy in the beginning because they wanted to sort of play into the jazz scene that was taking place at the time. I remember reading or hearing that somewhere that the opening scene it's a little jazzy, you know, mm-hmm. if you remember, and that was because they wanted to be a little bit more contemporary. Um, it was something and, like that, and it was Franz. I, I think it's Waxman. I think it's his name. Uh, he actually scored movies like Sunset Boulevard, Rebecca, oh, wow. which was a Hitchcock movie, and uh, Ride of Frankenstein. So he's done oh, some classics, okay. but it's a much more lighthearted, more bouncy, buoyant, like you said, mm-hmm. jazzy. Yeah. But another thing that I noticed about the music, and I think this is perfect for this film, is that he incorporates a lot of contemporary pop songs in here. Like Mona Lisa, mm-hmm. you hear them singing, and you see here, yeah. That's Amore as an instrumental. Amore, yeah. uh, and it's great, because it just I think he's probably just giving... Like, this movie needed more of a livelier, like, maybe contemporary Well, I think concert. it also wanted a more humanistic element. People at the time were really listening to songs like that. So they wanted to mm-hmm. kind of, again, bring you more into that world of making it a real place. By hearing songs that are actually people listen to in the real world mm-hmm. versus these beautifully orchestrated numbers by Bernard Herrmann. Yeah, yeah, that's her moodier pieces, exactly. and, 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 but brilliant yeah. in their own in their own way. But, but the movie, it's like you're right though. I never thought about it. like a lot of movies have background music, you know, mm-hmm. just to play over a scene. That really doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there's no reason to have music, there is no reason to have music. If there's guys, the songwriter playing the piano, and you know, people singing at a party or whatever. You know, the music kind of more seems like a lot of the music pro- pro- uh, to be part of the scenery, I guess. Exactly, and most of the sound that we hear in this movie is external environmental sound. Mm-hmm. People talking, the guy playing the piano, the noise of the streets outside, which is very much realistic. It's as if we're Jeffrey living in that apartment with him. We hear all these environmental sounds. Or anybody living in any city. Exactly, yeah. any city, which you hear the cars and the horns when it's nighttime and stuff. And again, just another stroke of genius with respect to details um, on Hitchcock's part. I mean, just getting us into that world of feeling like we really live in this secluded uh, courtyard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it just kind of had that, uh, 
everything's kind of isolated. And I love that. Yeah. That's the, the whole mood of this. Plus the lighting, like you said, mm-hmm. is always in the dark and day and night are very much like contrasted in this movie. That kind of give you a feeling like you're just sitting there yeah. like Jimmy Stewart just watching it and go all by. The, all the craziness happens in the dark too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you notice. Yeah, that is. But you can, I mean, there's definitely elements of like his movie Rope in this where it's oh, a very yeah. confined scene. Yes. And very, you know, you're very boxed in versus North by Northwest where you move all around the country yes. and do all that. But you know that kind of claustrophobic feeling. But again, I mean, you have yeah. a guy who's trapped in a wheelchair in a small apartment. So of course, you you, you kind of want to convey a claustrophobic feeling. Yeah. And you, like you said, his only outlet is out that window. He doesn't have a TV. Yeah. He's used to not always being on the road and traveling. He goes into all the different adventures and where he's at and you know living mm-hmm. out of a jeep and whatnot. So you know, quite a quite a contrast to someone who's who's now can't do any of that. Yeah, right. He's used to being able to explore and now they're confined to this box of a you know, four by four apartment or whatever. Um, but that also I think um, enhances the element of fear. Especially when um, Mr. Thornwall, you know, enters the apartment. Jimmy Stewart's literally trapped. Yeah. He can't get up, he can't walk. There's yeah. no nobody in there to help him. It's dark. That's what I call his uh, master suspense. Exactly. I mean, yeah. He exactly. put this guy from the very beginning in this spot to be at the end yes. to go, oh crap. <laughs> and we all know as the audience, you know, we all that's another reason why that scene is so suspenseful for us is because we feel that fear with him. Oh my goodness, he's in the small room. He has nowhere to go. He can't even get up. But you know, this guy's a killer. But he and, never thought it through and we as moviegoers didn't think it through. Like no. what if you Find out he really is a murderer, and you know what? What now? You know now you, it's not just a game anymore. Mm-hmm. You know this guy has something to, to worry about. He's he's got he's got motive now to kill you. You know because he's already killed once. Well, I think Jimmy Stewart he liked her. Well, yeah, Jimmy, he did. Apparently enough to marry yeah. her. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, but he didn't like her enough because he killed her. <laughs> yeah. um, well, Jimmy Stewart, I think, was a little bit cognizant of that after he realized um, that Mr. Thornwall saw him, because then he immediately backed up, turned the lights off, and got the camera, and you could just tell he was scared. And then when he started hearing the footsteps, he was yeah. like trying to back up to make himself as invisible as possible. Um, which again, is just very human, natural well, things that, that people would do. That telephoto lens, and, and I'm an amateur photographer, and it, it's like okay, when you use a telephoto lens, it's a pain in the ass in one way because you have to be a certain distance to make it work. You know, mm-hmm. because it, you get too close, and you have mm-hmm. too small a field of view, and nothing you can't focus. And I read about the lens that he has is this monstrous lens. Yeah. Because from that range, you wouldn't see a thing. Mm-hmm. It'd be yeah. like looking at something with your hand up against your face because of the zoom is so powerful. I thought that was kind of a little tidbit in there. It's like, well, I mean, but most movie gears, and I would never know it unless I was researching it. But I thought that yeah. was kind of neat. But though. I also don't it think was. his character is concerned with getting a good picture at that point. He was just trying to blind. No, I meant when he was using the telephoto to spy instead of binoculars. Oh, I see. Okay. That he okay. really wouldn't have seen anything. You know, because it had been oh, the, the, so gotcha. close. Yeah, the, tele, the uh, telephoto was so powerful that at that range, you would have been too close to see anything. Oh, but okay. it was interesting, though. But I mean, it was clever, though. I think as a, as a director, as a character, to go, well, wait a minute, I have a very powerful, mm-hmm. you know, item mm-hmm. item here in my telephoto lenses to look across the apartment instead of using yeah. binoculars when he wanted to really zoom in. That was very again attention yeah. to detail, very neat. Like, right. of course, a photographer would have a telephoto lens. Of course, he wouldn't grab mm-hmm. that one, you know, the monster one. But I mean, it was so cool. Well, Hitchcock was always so good at using his environment and incorporating that into the story that he was telling, you know, with the characters or um, even like Vertigo, you know, that church that they go to. And, you know, he was always really great at at making the world that he was creating seem very real. 
Yeah. He did, you know, like, and also vivid, like, like you mm-hmm. said, he utilizes the environment, the way he constructs shots. It's kind of like yeah. you can relate to a lot of what's going on. He doesn't make the obvious choices with a, with a thriller. And another thing is Hitchcock's humor. He has that dark humor. I don't think that was pretty prevalent in Hollywood back then, that everyone was incorporating that. Some probably were, but Hitchcock is a master of black comedy. Like, almost yeah, his movies yeah. are almost like black comedies in a way. There's always that undercurrent of, of kind of... There's humor. Yeah, yeah, and a little quirky, a little offbeat, you yeah. know, with everything. Like, You're right. He does, there's always a little bit of, like, you know, there's that humor aspect to the dark humor. Yeah. It's like, we're kind of laughing, but should we? <laughs> but that's yeah. like, uh, just thinking of North and Northwest, there's a quote, and forgive me, listeners, I'm going to butcher it, I don't know it by heart, but uh, Cary Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, says something to the effect of, you know, um, I have five ex-wives, a mother... You know, and three bartenders that really depend on me. So, if you want to kill me, or he says something along those lines, and it's very witty because he's talking. You know, um, I forget what it was in context to now, but anyway, it just again just shows that that humor and just that kind of dark wit that but, Hitchcock. Well, all the murder attempts on him in that movie. Exactly. And there's always a, a chuckle. Yeah. yeah. Afterwards, and that's what like, this you was. Die. Yeah, yeah, that's what this was. Somebody, I think it was they were trying to kill him. I think. When he first got captured, went to that house, mm. and he didn't really know like what was happening or where he was. I think that's kind of when he said it, but it was really funny and, and kind of quirky. Like I've got three ex-wives, a mother, something, something, and two bartenders that you know depend on me financially or something like that. I don't know. Right. I mean, he's a master of tone in general. Like, and tone is a tricky thing, especially because he—it's kind of a blending of a variety of different elements, but they're very distinctly Hitchcockian. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why he's become an adjective because it's such a distinct flavor. And I always love filmmakers that have that distinct vision from the visuals to his use of music, his use of, you know, camera angles, mm-hmm. uh, the That's dark humor, amazing. you know. He's, he's a genius. And uh, I could see so much of the influence on Hitchcock on a wide variety of filmmakers like Scorsese, like even Spielberg, like uh, the Coen brothers, David, David Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, David Lynch took it to an absurd, surrealistic, even darker corners, you know, but... Uh, that's, that just shows you these are all great filmmakers mm-hmm. that have influenced other people themselves and that shows you what a giant Hitchcock is and he had such a brilliant way of using color and I know I touched on this when I was talking about the costumes but even in all of his films when you think about um, Vertigo how whimsical and and just sort of blurry that world is it's almost as if we're in this constant dreamlike state like his Jimmy Stewart's character uh, from the colors that uh, Kim Novak wears, the, the way that her hair is almost, it's its so blonde, but it's like this, um, looks like a watercolor. You know, everything is just so blurry and unclear. And then you have something like Psycho, where it was filmed in black and white to create that really dark, you know, feel and mood. And I just think he's really brilliant for doing that. In this movie, everything was a little bit sharp and brighter. And that was, I think, to tie into how life is. You know, mm-hmm. real life is bright and sharp. And um, I don't know. I always really admired and enjoyed that visually. You, well, Any uh, Hitchcock movie that you watch, it's a different experience visually. The colors, the tones. And I don't know. I just think that's so cool. Yeah, it's really neat. Like you were saying, though, with the... With the uh... You know, Hitchcock was a master, though. Mm-hmm. If you can't have it always be dark, can't have it always be light, can't mm-hmm. have it be suspenseful, you got yeah. You have to like a, a good piece of music. It has to have highs and lows. It's got to yeah. pace itself, you know, to keep you interested. And in, in, you know, because if you keep it like if it's like a thriller where it's always scary, then you kind of come numb to it. I would mm-hmm. think. But right. His way of you know, a little chuckle here or there, maybe dark humor, 
you know, we don't want to make it, it's not, this is not a comedy, no. it's not a murder, but we got to lighten things a little bit here and there, yeah. and, you know, and whatever. And like the, the neighbor who, like we talked about earlier, who over the fence is like, what are you doing? You know, kind of the, you know, the yeah. busybody, you know, mm-hmm. those little pieces to kind of keep you moving in the movie and not just about this crazy, scary guy who right. across the yeah. way. he's killing people. I always compare like Hitchcock in a way to uh, Rod Serling from, who did the, created the Twilight Zone because oh, I think yeah. the Twilight Zone for television was a similar, because uh, it was an anthology mm-hmm. series, so you saw different stories each week and I feel like there's, there's an equivalent of those two kind of showing, bringing absurdity into the mainstream almost, like these mm-hmm. sur- maybe quietly surreal, offbeat Absurd. They brought that into the mainstream landscape of American culture, you know, where people could start like, okay, oh, yeah. this is a little offbeat and it might be a little unsettling, but I love it and I want to keep watching it. And it made it accessible to people yeah. who normally would have steered away from that. Well, stuff. people are just by nature very attracted to a things we don't know and just the the oddness, odd things, strangeness. But what a twist, though, from like what people have been seeing. Which are musicals oh, and everybody yeah. in there's romantic comedies, you know the slapstick kind of stuff. And what a what a turn where people start going, you know, or like you know, like we talked about uh, Rod Serling. It's like it's a cookbook. I yeah, mean, yeah. he forgets lines like that. You're like, wow, that's really dark and scary. You know, from what people had seen up to that yeah. point. Right. You know, on the waterfront was really dark, and you know, mm-hmm. and again, that whole genre kind of like takes off at that point. But you start to see that where people are making movies that are like a little more gritty, a little more comedy. Even the, the gangster movies at that time were a little kind of bigger than life. You know, right. They didn't really you know, feel like they were around the corner from you every day to a certain yeah. extent. You're just so creative. I mean, he is just a creative genius. And I think like so much of that, uh, his influence is still around. Like in, even in modern mm-hmm. thrillers, everybody, every, every thriller made since Hitchcock has borrowed in one way or another from Hitchcock, you know, from the, from the Hitchcock yeah. textbook, you know. So what do you guys think overall of the movie? Like, what's your overall impression? Like, how does this rank for you within the Hitchcock pantheon, you know, or any movie in general? Oh, gosh. Frank, you want to start? Okay. Well, okay. We all know we have our biases. You're Audrey. I'm Cary Grant. So we have that. But uh, So basically, we're on the same team. We're on the same team. <laughs> we're on. We're... With charades on, you guys are like, boom. Yeah, we don't watch anything else. Yeah, we watch yeah, it yeah. 900 yeah. times. Yeah. But no, it's a great movie. You can't argue with it as far as it, its place in, in movie history, so to speak. And like you said, Hitchcockian became, you know, an adjective from that point in his movies. Uh, but it's it's fun to watch. It's still fun to watch. Um, it's like any other Hitchcock movie. The more you watch them, the more you start seeing more things, the more layers you see. I think the movies become more enjoyable. The characters are, are very fun. Thelma Ritter's always a favorite. I've watched, mm-hmm. I'll watch her in anything, really. I mean, as a, as a character actor, she's amazing. Um, she, you know, she's really almost uh, like a third star in that movie, so she to speak. She brings so much value to the scenes yes. that she's mm-hmm. in, and that's a sign of, I think, a really good supporting actor. Yeah, like you were saying, like yeah. it moves the plot along mm-hmm. with the exposition that she she has that role, but she does it so well, doesn't feel that way. Uh, her character is so genuine, but yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know everything from admiring the set to the lighting, it, it's it's very visually very fun. It's a good mm-hmm. story. You get sucked in. I mean, all the things you want in the movie. I mean, you want to if you want, if you're in suspense, yeah. you, you cannot enjoy this movie, even if you're you know not used to you know that you know age of movies you know from the fifties. Um, I just don't see how you couldn't like it just to, to watch that. And if you're a movie buff, I don't know how you cannot have this as part of something of your education to see in a movie. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, um, like for me, 
uh, this is not only my personal favorite Hitchcock film, uh, it's in my top ten favorite movies of all time. Like, the more I watch it, like, I've always loved this movie since I saw it. Um, I think what makes it distinct for me, and this is not to say, I'm going to put a caveat, like I said earlier, if you pick Vertigo as your favorite film, or North by Northwest, or Psycho, or even The Birds, I'm not going to argue, because I think they're all great in their yeah. own way. Um, but... This is my personal favorite. I know it's critically acclaimed too. It's been don't forget s- to catch a thief. Another great again, you know. But it, a whole different movie, right? A whole different, yeah. movie. all the other mood and everything. But still, yeah, right. Great costumes though. That is still fantastic. A <laughs> but I just love. I really love the characters of, of of LB Jeffries and I love Lisa. I love their relationship. That's one of the things that really draws me. And probably what makes it distinct from other Hitchcock films is this is a really fully developed relationship between. A romantic relationship between, like, you know, Grace Kelly and Jimmy Stewart. And I love them as actors. I think this, this is a peak Jimmy Stewart performance, one of his best. And I think it's one, certainly, maybe Grace Kelly's best performance on the film. It's such a narrow group of yeah. films to begin with. I think it's, it's fair to say, for me, I, I just think it's both of these legends at their peak, including Hitchcock. And it's just such a great story and so well developed. I discover more things each time I watch it from all the details and the side stories mm-hmm. that take place. I uh, love the production design. I think it's one of the best oh, sets yeah. I've ever seen. One of my favorites. And uh, I think it's, a, I highly recommend it as a gateway, not only to Hitchcock, but just the classic films in general. It's another great gateway. Mm-hmm. If you're interested in delving into cinema before 1970, it, that's one of those oh, movies yeah. I think you can easily pick and get you into that world. I'm sure it's on many top 100 lists. Great movies of all time. It makes us perennial. Like it's always on those mm-hmm. AFI lists in the top half, yeah. you know, and deservingly so. In Absolutely. My I well, it's my favorite uh, Hitchcock movie. Um, I think I'm pretty sure it is. <laughs> I like. Uh, um, I actually like The Birds a lot because I think the humor and the suspense and it's just such a weird movie. You know why the birds are doing that, but. Uh, <laughs> um, I like the. I think the set is just awesome. It feels like this weird. Um, it feels like a play, you know. That's what I. That's but totally it's so fully I realized, mean. and you can see that the, everybody in there is having. It seems like all the actors are having a good time because they have this set to work with. I mean, they are in this. There's no, you know, there's not a lot of special effects. It's just they feel like they're in this this world. And what made it easy to get into character for all of them that Yeah, way. exactly. You, you, were living, you were in an apartment. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're in this apartment and there's a courtyard yeah. and it's all set up and I like how everything's from Jimmy Stewart's uh, point of view or Jeff. I find it weird that Jimmy Stewart's named Jeff in this. For some reason that seems weird. <laughs> he doesn't seem like a Jeff. But, well, uh, technically he's an LB. He could yeah. be yeah. Like, yeah. Like, Lionel or yeah. something. I'm going to say it stands for Lyndon Baines Jeffries. That's just the only thing I could think of. Oh, yeah, we're calling Jeff. His last name is Jeffrey. Yeah. Well, they yeah. called him Jeff, though. Oh, Jeff. Yeah, oh, they were they in called. older films, they always nicknames that usually are based on your last name versus your first name. Yeah. I know this. Yeah. Lionel. I think the L stands for Lionel. That's what I just Yeah, said. it probably I does. It I, I, I like the. It's very atmospheric. You know, uh, I like the scenes of it. They just show the courtyard and they just kind of pan around. They show you what's going on and all the different stories that are going on. And um, tonally, I think it, it just, it's very disciplined. Um, it never really, you know, jumps around tonally. And um, the acting's really good. And like you said, I like the chemistry between uh, Jimmy Stewart and, and Grace Kelly. And um, yeah, it's, it's my favorite Hitchcock movie. 
Yeah. I mean, I love them all. I mean, I, yeah. I can't really yeah. say I have a favorite because they're That's all so fun to watch. I think every every movie, like I was saying earlier, has its own world. It has its own story, and it's really hard for me to pick mm-hmm. which ones I like best. I mean, there are definitely a couple that I tend to gravitate to when, I, when I'm in the mood to watch a Hitchcock film. Um, but but no, I love this movie. I agree with everything you three gentlemen said. <laughs> um, I think the acting's fantastic. The visuals, the story, the details. Um, it really holds up. I'd love to see it on the stage. If anyone's ever adapted it to a play, I think that that's something that's really could be feasible. And mm-hmm. I'd really enjoy seeing that. I think it'd be very fun for an audience and definitely fun for an actor to be in something like that. Um, yeah, it's just Hitchcock it's doing his Hitchcock. thing. Yeah, it's Hitchcock doing his thing, and uh, he doesn't disappoint, as always. And the fun thing is when you watch it, you keep learning and discovering different elements about it, as with any of his other movies, and I think that that's fun. Um, I love both of the actors very much. Jimmy Stewart is probably in my top five men, so it's fun to see him in this. Um, and I do love Grace Kelly. <laughs> she's beautiful and she's great in this movie and I do think it probably might be one of her best performances because the character was so strong mm-hmm. I feel like this was a great um, chance for her to actually play a character versus just a beautiful or cold or icy blonde she really had a lot of heart and I enjoyed watching her um, in this as well as Jimmy Stewart and yeah I just think it's great I, I Highly encourage all of you to get it, <laughs> and not only this movie, but get the the DVD box set of the Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, there's about six of them in there. That's what I have. I think it has like The Birds, Mirror Window, Psycho, North by Northwest, and Vertigo. So it's like a five pack. Yeah, and that's a great segue. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. Uh, in fact. Um, like I always end the podcast, like the best way to watch a movie, I think, outside of an actual movie theater. In the on the big screen is on Blu-ray, and that I believe is on Blu-ray. It's called Alfred Hitchcock: The Masterpiece Collection, and yes. Rear Window is part of it. Yes, uh, and it is an mm-hmm. amazing. It's fifty percent off right now, gang. On what <laughs> website yeah, it is, is that? <laughs> go ahead. I mean, it has so many uh, films, but they're all loaded with double features, and they yes. all look pristine. Like Rear Window looks pristine, and if you can't afford it, Rear Window is available. I think from about two years ago in 2014 they released a standalone Blu-ray of Blu-ray Window it's okay. probably from the same one that's in the box set which looks fantastic and it was re- I think Blu-ray uh, Window was remastered in 2000 yes year 2000 it was remastered but the great thing about this box set and I'm sure the standalone DVDs have it too there's tons of commentary tons of special features and it's really fun for the Hitchcockian person out there and it's a great looking set too. It's mm-hmm. great pictures yeah. and, and even the sleeves look fantastic. Mine like, came with like fun little postcards with quotes. <laughs> Mine too. Quotes. <laughs> that, that Roger Thornhill quote was on the back, so I'll get it when we're done yeah. and I'll read it out. But uh, yeah, I mean, great movie. Yeah, Tony and I can't recommend this box set enough. If you yes. love classic cinema, you it's love Hitchcock, so you have to own this. You 100%, do. You know, you do. We don't hawk too many things, but we definitely yeah. hawk this. This is a good one, gang. Yes, and so is the uh, Audrey Hepburn box set that's out there too. <laughs> mm-hmm. I haven't quite seen that yet, but I'm sure it's as pristine as this one. So. <laughs> Well, we want to thank our special guest again, Frank Garcia, for joining us today. Thanks so much, Frank, yes. for coming out. Thanks for having me. He'll be back when we cover Charade, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> the greatest Hitchcock film that never was. <laughs> exactly. We're no doubt having you back again and again and again, you know. And um, we are always always performing in town ourselves, oh, yeah. Tony, Scott, and I. I want to put in a personal plug for a show I'm directing called The Putts. 
which is a live uh, stage comedy, which uh, stars Scott and Tony are in it, along with other people, some of whom have been on the podcast mm-hmm. before, yeah. uh, that debuts at the Wild Goose Creative in Columbus uh, on August 12th on Friday, along mm-hmm. with the, my improv trip, See It Thursday. So that'll be a fun show. And yeah. uh, We have um, Idiot Box, which is a sketch comedy group that mm-hmm. all three of us are in. We have a show on Saturday, June 25th, at, so it's next Saturday, at Cafe Kerouac. The show's at 8 p.m. There's no cover charge. And we're doing it a little bit differently than what we normally do. We're kind of doing more of an improv-based set. But lots of uh, old favorites will be there in terms of character work and stuff. So if you can have a chance to come out, we can meet us. We'd love to meet our listeners. And, uh, yeah, be sure to follow Cinema Wheelerte on Facebook and Twitter. Mm-hmm. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. Yeah, absolutely. And subscribe and share. <laughs> Yes, please do, and uh, and continue to listen because uh, we love doing the podcast, and uh, yes. we'll come at you next We've time. We've got some great movies in the pipeline that Absol- we're going to be discussing this summer. So as we do, and uh, we'll uh, end on the note of great weird windowness <laughs> and mystery, and we'll uh, see you next time. <laughs>